It's Sterling Fox in for Jill Bennett this Saturday morning. Nice to be with you at 6.33. The uh, Democracy Watch is a group in uh, Ottawa that uh, keeps an eye on the way we do political business in Canada. We're about to speak to its founder and director, Duff Conacher. Uh, on Thursday, those folks released a letter it sent to the Senate ethics officer. His name is Pierre Legault. They called on Monsieur Legault to investigate and issue a ruling that Senator Larry Campbell of Vancouver, in his position as a board member of Great Canadian Gaming Corporation, violates the purposes and the rules of the Senate ethics code. This all is combined, of course, with a great deal of attention in Vancouver and British Columbia this week uh, by the provincial government and uh, focused on a story of them investigating even more uh, the money laundering practices that have been going on in and around British Columbia for several years involving, among other things, casinos to the tune of hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Duff Conacher joins us now from Ottawa. Mr. Conacher is the founder of Democracy Watch and a good friend of this program. Duff, good morning. It's been a while. Good morning. So How let's ta- I'm great, thank you. This is this is serious business, Duff. First of all, what are the actual rules governing what a Canadian senator can't and can do with respect to duties beyond the Senate of Canada because we know a lot of them sit on corporate boards as directors. Yes, uh, and also have investments in uh, those corporations or other corporations. And uh, we don't know the exact line now because there were new rules added in um, June of 2014 to the code. And uh, before the code was very weak, and it actually had a loophole and still contains a loophole, which says that senators can actually uh, vote and take part in discussions uh, and debates essentially be an inside lobbyist for uh, their own private interests, even when they have a financial conflict of interest, they can take part in decisions that they and the businesses they're invested in will profit from. You mean, Duff, there's not even a basic rule that calls for a, a senator to recuse him or herself if a vote comes up that directly affects their private involvement with a company that might be affected by the outcome of the vote? There's not even a basic rule that says, if that's the case, you're in a conflict of interest, you have to step outside, you're not allowed to vote. Uh, no, there's a, this giant loophole that as long as you're dealing with uh, a matter uh, that applies generally, and 99% of laws apply generally, and they apply to many companies, you can't be in a conflict of interest. And this loophole does not only exist for senators, it also exists for cabinet ministers at the federal level, level cabinet ministers across the country, uh, city councillors across the country, uh, and senior government officials across the country at every level of government. Um, Federal, provincial, uh, territorial, and municipal. Politicians have written these rules for themselves. Sure. And they've written them to essentially allow themselves to profit from their own decisions. However, the Senate actually added two blanket rules in June 2014, and we're calling on the Senate ethics officer uh, uh, to rule that those blanket rules override that loophole because those blanket rules say two things. One, You have to dedicate yourself to your duties and functions as a senator over any other activity. Okay, so can you really be a corporate board member when you're supposed to be a senator? And what are the Senate's duties and functions? Each senator is supposed to represent the overall public interest Mm -hmm. of of the people from the province 
or territory that they're appointed. Right. And, and then there's a second blanket rule, which says you must act with integrity. And combined with those two rules is another one that is weakly worded, but still the Senate ethics officers should take it into account. You're expected to avoid even the appearance of a conflict of interest. You're not required to, but you're expected to. But when you combine it with a rule that says you have to act with integrity and devote yourself to your Senate duties and activities over anything else, Democracy Watch's position is the line that's drawn is you, you can't be uh, there with private interests, either from your investments or your board positions. When you're on the board of a corporation, you're legally required to advance the interests of that corporation. Right. So how can you possibly hold that position while also upholding the overall uh, public interest of the people of the province or territory you're appointed it, it would be, for example, a senator from Alberta, for example, uh, being on the board of one of the energy companies uh, and getting involved in the pipeline debate with, uh, obviously, a vested interest in, in seeing a successful outcome. It's a very well, not, s- similar example, isn't it? Not just getting involved in the pipeline debate, but actually just even holding the position. How can you have that conflict, that private interest in your own mind, and Senator Larry Campbell is not only a board member of this company, Great Canadian Gaming, but also has stock options in the company. So which has, which have flown to, uh, flowed to him as a result of being uh, a board member, right? Right. So he's invested in it as well. So how can you possibly have... You can't set aside that interest in your mind. The whole idea of a conflict of interest regime is no one can do a Vulcan mind meld. Mm-hmm. And so no one can tell what's in your head. So you may say, oh, no, I I disregard that private interest I have as an investor and board member when I make decisions and take part in discussions and debates and and sit there as a senator. But no one can tell. And the reason you really can't tell is you can help a company by doing something, and everyone always watches for that. Do they do anything to help the company? But you can also help it by not doing anything, by not making statements uh, about the industry that the company's in, mm-hmm. by, by not making proposals for regulations in that sector. So you can help a company through action or inaction, and that's why it's so important to say uh, and have a rule that's effective that says you can't have these conflicts, not even the appearance of these conflicts. And the Senate, I believe, uh, actually made that rule uh, in effect by adding these two new rules in June uh, that combine with the expectation that you won't ever be in an appearance of a conflict of interest and you have to avoid that. Right. And it means you just can't be a senator on a major corporate board or invested in corporations and and continue to be a senator. You have to choose one or the other role. Now, you sent this request for an investigation to Pierre Legault, the Senate ethics officer, just a couple of days ago. So it's it's not likely he's had anything to do except perhaps acknowledge receipt of your request. Well, and actually, it, he's done more than that. Well, it's good to hear. What? Uh, he, now, here's another outrage. The public, who pays for senators and every other government official uh, in, uh, and uh, the cabinet ministers, all the politicians and their staff, the public is not allowed with a complaint to force an investigation. Only other senators, if they file a complaint, can, they, can an investigation be forced into a situation. However, the Senate ethics officer, uh, and that's the same actually uh, in a lot of provinces, However, in, uh, the Senate ethics officer can take any information into account and examine it and decide on his own initiative to launch an investigation. So he's written back to us and said, I will examine the information that you have submitted and decide whether to uh, launch an inquiry. Now, we don't think much of an inquiry is needed. All of, all of the evidence is already public. Mm-hmm, he is sure. a board member. Right. 
he has the stock options. He is a senator. So it's really no investigations needed. But we do need a ruling on what these new rules that were put in the Senate Ethics Code from in June 2014 mean. Do they... They must mean something. They must have raised the standard somewhat. Is this a otherwise, test? Otherwise, they wouldn't have been added to the code. Sure. Is this a test, the first real test of these new uh, revised rules that you've referred to this morning, Duff? Well, here's another uh, outrage with the Senate ethics officer, and it's the same with a lot of the ethics commissioners across the country. They get asked for opinions from senators, and so does the ethics commissioner at the federal level. be asked by cabinet ministers and MPs and and senior government officials, you know, I, I, I've been invited to this event. Uh, it's sponsored by this corporation sure, right. or this lobbyist. Is it okay? NFL. Right. And, and so um, they, they issue rulings every time. They're, they're asked for opinions and advice. The rulings have to be secret, but they're allowed to issue summaries of the rulings that leave out the name of the senator and, and the other facts that would identify who asked for the advice. And uh, since 2014, the Senate ethics officer... Uh, Pierre Legault's new in the job as of last June, uh, but uh, or sorry, of June of 2017, but uh, the previous uh, ethics officer, Lise Ricard, since June of 2014, uh, she stopped the practice of issuing summaries of key rulings, key advice that she had given during the year. So for the past four years, there may have been rulings on what these new rules mean about acting with integrity. And, but nobody knows. But nobody knows because the rulings have been secret. So we've asked, also asked uh, Pierre Legault to release all of those key rulings that were new about the new rules or about any other new situations that arose in the last four years. And it's just dangerously negligent that those rulings have been kept secret because how do we tell whether the Senate ethics officer is properly enforcing the Senate ethics code if we uh, actually don't see their rulings. Absolutely. Duff, I'm out of time, but uh, I'm, I'm grateful for yours this morning. I'm looking at the headline on democracywatch.ca, friends. D-Watch calls on Senate ethics officer to rule Senator Campbell's corporate board position and investments violate the ethics code. It's all there at democracywatch.ca. We'll follow this one very closely, of course, especially from Vancouver, and we'll talk about this more. Duff, thanks for this this morning. Good morning. It's Sterling Fox sitting in for the vacationing Jill Bennett. Nice to be with you this Saturday morning, 733. As National Seniors Day approaches this Monday, October 1st, B.C. notaries are advising seniors and baby boomers to ensure their health care wishes are clearly and legally documented in case they develop an unforeseen health condition where they can't speak or care for themselves. Since most people over age 55 are healthy and active, this is the optimal time to capture their instructions while they're still physically robust and legally of sound mind. Now, depending on your unique needs and situation, you might require a representation agreement, perhaps an advanced care director, uh, directive rather, or power of attorney, and a trained and professional notary can advise you on what tools best meet your needs. We're delighted to welcome Daniel Boisvert to the program this morning. Daniel is the president of the BC Notaries Association and is a notary in Tawasin. Daniel Boisvert, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having us on. Oh, it's great to have you with us, Daniel. This is important stuff. Uh, National Seniors Day coming up on Monday. And uh, uh, this whole business of uh, do it while you're capable of doing it, it seems as plain as the nose on your face. But I think there's a reluctance in many cases, Daniel, because people go, well, I am healthy. I'm fine. Thank you very much. I don't need to worry about 20 years from now. I'm doing great. Yeah, I think so, Sterling. I think sometimes it's a 
it's one of those things that I think is easy to put off. Um, you're right. If we're healthy and, and we're enjoying life, why are we thinking about uh, not being healthy sure. or, uh, or, or, or losing our ability to act for ourselves or something like that? You're, you're absolutely right. So, of course, then life, of course, gets in the way, and perhaps not in our own cases, but we have family members or workmates or whatever, and all of a sudden the unexpected happens, a surprise illness, a loss of a job, uh, a, you know, a family right. tragedy, and suddenly all of that, that chart, that path that you had charted for yourself is no longer available to you for any one of a number of reasons, and you'd better have That's your right. ducks in a row by then, Right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's that's exactly what we're what we're trying to promote uh, during this week. Um, we really want to enforce that uh, people of all ages, but especially the group that uh, that you mentioned earlier, um, has had a chance to <clears throat> prepare their documentation and and get things in order. So, of course, we're talking about powers of attorney and representation agreements and advanced uh, healthcare directives. Um, all documents uh, that are what we call personal planning documents. Uh, they're all documents in which you um, state wishes and appoint people to make decisions on your behalf in case you are struck with an illness or um, a loss of your um, ability to act. Right. Now, uh, this is where the notary part comes into the question this morning, Daniel, and it's good to have you with us, too, because a lot of this stuff, a lot of this forward planning that we're now talking about, one imagines typically is the sort of work handled by a lawyer. And that isn't necessarily the case at all, is it? No, it's not. Notaries are are highly trained, uh, very skilled professionals in this area. As a matter of fact, notaries um, would consider this to be a primary work area for um, for probably every notary practice in British Columbia. So um, a citizen should feel, you know, they can certainly walk in, make an appointment with their notary, and they're going to get, um, you know, highly trained people, top-notch service, that sort of thing, to go through, you know, initially a discussion process to figure out exactly what each individual client needs mm-hmm. or might need, and then make recommendations from there. Right. I, I, and I'm just, I'm after a kind of a typical age that you're sort of targeting this at. And, and let me set it up by saying this. When I was, uh, you know, when I was a young person, the notion of, for example, life insurance was foreign to me. It was a completely alien concept. You're in your 20s and early 30s. Life insurance, get real. Come on. And then our first child, our daughter came along. And all of a sudden, I'm a responsible person. And there are other people now dependent on me. And I better get me some life insurance. That's, that's the turning point for a lot of younger people would that matter now when it comes to forward planning in terms of power of attorney and other details that we're talking about this morning daniel what is a typical age of a person who finally sees the light and goes i better get this done um i think some of the typical drivers sterling one you just mentioned um children marriage and children that's that's certainly one um a good time at that point to start talking about powers of attorney and to start talking about a will um, as people, you know, get on in life, that's when more the, the health care decisions start coming in, or that's when we start talking about health care. I mean, the biggest driver that I find for most people in my practice is that they've just gone through an experience with a loved one yes. or a family friend yep. that had something that went wrong, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, are, the, are things in order? Oh, they were, thank God, or they weren't, and it's a big mess, and now people are coming into the office saying, okay, I want to get this stuff done so the same thing doesn't happen to me. 
Interesting. My mom lives in Ontario. She's in her 90s in care now, uh, suffering, unfortunately, from Alzheimer's. But many years ago, when she was in her 80s, we had the talk. And it was basically my brother and I uh, sat down and, okay, now here's what's going to happen when I pass on. And, you know, you're sitting there like a six-year-old squirming in your chair. It's such an uncomfortable conversation. But nonetheless, off she went. And she said, look, I've done everything. I've got this. I've got a power of attorney. I've got all my health care issues. There's a, an envelope yeah. for you. There's an envelope for your brother. Uh, you know, everything is in yeah. order. I've got a good lawyer and everything is Perfect. in capable hands. And now I went back again just a few months ago. And now she is absolutely incapable of doing anything for herself. But it's all looked after because she saw fit to do yeah. so 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think that's a really good um, you know, message for listeners is that You know, if you do have parents um, that are older and you haven't had this conversation, you're not sure that these documents exist, I think it's probably the time now to have that conversation and and say, you know, mom, dad, do you have a power of attorney? Do you have a representation agreement? Do you have an advanced care directive? Are these things done? And if they're not done, it's like, well, maybe we should make an appointment with our local notary and go down and, and have this conversation and make sure that these things are in order. Because it really affects the children in, in a in a you know all of a sudden their 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 parents need help and now they're in this position where they can't really give them the help that they want because sure. they don't have the proper documentation and if you don't have that kind of documentation unfortunately the only place that you can really go get it especially when it comes to a power of attorney is that you need a court order and that's a very expensive and uh, time consuming process so you know a, a little bit of uh of good planning up front uh, saves a lot of stress on the on the back end. And, and, and a little bit of discomfort because, you know, it's it's not a pleasant conversation to have. If you have aging parents and, and you're unsure of where they are and how their how their plan is and, and all of the rest of that, it, you're right. It's important to have that conversation, but it's not a it's not a pleasant or easy chat to have, is it? Yeah, it's not. But I think the only chat that they need to have is they just need to impress on the fact that it just needs to be done. Absolutely. And once the clients come into my office and sit down, I think a lot of that stress about that conversation goes away because we're, we, we know as notaries, we know what questions to ask. We know what we're talking about. We know what we're doing. So when, they, when, when clients come down and sit with me and we start having this conversation, I always find that it actually goes quite, uh, quite smoothly. And, uh, you know, within a week or two, people have their documents. It's, you know, they can close the chapter on that, get back to living, and, and, and everything they know is going to be fine. Daniel, how much or how frequently does one's will need to be updated? If you last did your will, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, is it, I mean, it's still valid because you haven't replaced it yeah. with anything, but how frequently should you right. have a look at that and, and consider replacing it or, or refreshing it? Yeah, well, I mean, if, obviously, if you've had any sort of major change in your life, major asset change, major family change, that's a, a time. And even if you haven't, I mean, you know, it's five years, uh, seven years maybe is a, is a good number. And I mean, I will review, uh, we have clients that, that come into my office almost daily for a, for a review. And oftentimes they come in and it's a 15-minute, it's a you know, take a look at everything, ask a few questions. And a lot of times everything is okay. And uh, everybody's on their way. And if we see a change that needs to be made, we make the recommendation and 
away we go. Lots more information on the uh, BC Notaries website, which is notaries.bc.ca. And uh, Daniel, thank you very much for this this morning. It's a National Seniors Day on Monday, and it's a really good time to just sort of uh, maybe to sit down and take stock of what's going on. If, if you're not uh, the senior, and uh, but there are some in your life, it's it, maybe it's time for that conversation. And we appreciate your conversation with us this morning, sir. Sterling Fox in for Jill Bennett, and congratulations to Joanne in Surrey, who was caller number 10. Joanne has just picked up a four-pack of BC Lions tickets to the October 19th game versus the Edmonton Eskimos at BC Place. Way to go, Joanne. Have fun with you and your pals, and we'll do this again tomorrow morning here on the Jill Bennett Show. Right now, we turn our attention to, well, it's new car season, boys and girls. Let's find out what's hot and what's not, and why so many of us don't want to buy cars anymore. Jeremy Cato is with us this morning. Jeremy is the automotive correspondent with the Globe and Mail and the proud owner of CatoCarGuy.com. Good morning, Jeremy. Hey, Sterling. How are you? I'm well. It's been ages since you and I had a chat on the radio. It's good to talk to you again. Why? Do, what, what is it with us and cars? You're blogging about it at Cato Car Guy. Ford isn't even going to make many car models anymore going forward. What is uh, with us and our sudden falling out of love with our cars and going to SUVs? <laughs> well, I, th- I think there's a whole bunch of factors at, at play. One, one is that... Um, the uh, you know as the baby boomers are still the biggest chunk of the marketplace, um, even though millennials are, are moving in there and uh, Generation X and Y and Z and all the rest of them. Um, and one of the things that that's a big deal about this new crop of, uh, of uh, SUVs, all different shapes and sizes, uh, is as boomers get older, they you know they don't want to crawl down into cars anymore. Okay. Um, so it, you, you know the, there's a term in the car business called hip point, and that's the where your hip. Uh, hits the the car itself, the car door as you're getting into the vehicle, and uh, and so uh, you know, boomers. I mean, if you, I, I've been watching the Ryder Cup, and if you look at Tiger Woods at 42 with his bad back, I, you know, he doesn't want to climb into a car. He wants to climb into an SUV. It's right. an easy slide across. So that's one factor. The other is the is the versatility, and and this this addresses more the you know the uh, uh, sort of under 40 buyer. Um, th- those kinds of buyers, the millennials and the Gen Ys and Xs and stuff, uh, they do things with their friends all the time. They need two, three, four seats, and they've got their stuff, right? Their s- snowboards and so on. So the versatility of a small SUV or a midsize SUV um, just makes more sense for them. They can carry their friends and, you know, <clears throat> uh, and that sort of thing. And, and the third thing is this: the development of uh, – uh, fuel economy, uh, fuel economy efficiencies um, in small SUVs has really brought up their uh, their fuel economy and their maintenance. Uh, you know, your everyday running costs uh, down to something that is comparable to what cars have always been. Yeah, and, and, and they're so, also so you put those three factors together. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, you know, a... and 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 that that's part of it. And then there's a cool factor. I mean, there's a lot of these small SUVs. You know, they, they kind of look cool. They do, they do. And and uh, the only thing I was going to add, Jeremy, was the fact that they're not. All seventy five thousand dollars anymore. You can find you can find a brand spanking new SUV if you if you're careful and you know what you're looking for for under twenty five grand. Well, you're you're right. If if you go to my uh, website, I, I just posted a um, at catercarguy.com. I just posted a review of the Hyundai Kona, right? Um, which is you know the base price of that is just under twenty one thousand dollars. Um, although I do I do mention at, at, at the end of the review that. 
if you were to buy a you know similarly sized five door four door hatchback Hyundai Accent that starts at under sixteen thousand dollars. So essentially, you're paying about a five thousand dollar premium for those for a small SUV. Um, you know, so if, if I think shoppers might want to think about that, and as, but you know, if most people today buy vehicles by payment, not by their the sticker price, um, and so the difference over four or five years or six years, or we're seeing loans up to eighty four months. That's right. Um, you know, but for five thousand dollars, you spread that over eight years, people don't notice the difference in the price, but it's there. And as interest rates go up, it'll be interesting to see if buyers become more sensitive to the actual price they're paying, not just the monthly payment. Yeah, and you're right about fuel economy, too. They're making SUVs that will deliver approximately the same fuel economy as a a four-passenger sedan, so that's not an issue. They're not all big old gas guzzlers anymore. No, no. and and just a a quick point on that is if you look at a vehicle like the uh, the Kia Niro, which is another one of these small uh, SUVs, that's available as a hybrid. So you're, you're getting your liters per 100 kilometers down to about five, five and a half, which is pretty darn good. Right. So, you know, so you add these hybrid technologies and more fuel efficiencies and the running costs of an SUV just don't explode uh, the way they used to be when you're, you know, 20 years ago, when you're buying a Ford Explorer, you're spending a fortune on gas. That's right. You know, Jeremy, I want to change gears because I, okay. t- I want to talk about, of course, this new car season. That's the billing here. And I want you to tell us what you think is hot and what's not for the 2019 from the new uh, lineups that are being offered in showrooms across British Columbia. But before we get to that, you, you <laughs> last month, you did a review of the new Tesla Model 3 and got into a little bit behind the scenes in terms of Elon Musk and so on. Since you wrote that piece, and that review, Musk has gotten himself even uh, well into more muck uh, with his shareholders and now with the Securities and Exchange Commission. You're right. If you'll forgive my, my plug for my YouTube channel, there's about 60 reviews there now, um, and one of them is that Tesla Model 3, yeah. um, which dynamically is a terrific car to drive. I don't want to undermine that, but the materials and the build quality are certainly subpar compared to any other automaker. So, and the, the the Model Three that I tested was you know seventy more than seventy thousand dollars, which is a lot of money for a, a car the size of a Honda Civic or a Toyota Corolla. But, right. Uh, anyways, but Elon Musk he's he's being sued by the Security Exchange Commission um, for um, securities fraud, and the, the goal of the SEC is to um, take him out of his uh, functional role uh, as one of, as the CEO and largest shareholder in, in Tesla and and their their stated goal is is to um, uh, to remove him from being involved in any public company ever again ever again interesting eh yeah because he tweeted out um, last month uh, you know it, shockingly that he'd uh, he had a plan to take Tesla yeah, from its public company status to private. Yeah, company. there was rumors of Saudis being involved, et cetera. Yeah, right. But when you're the CEO, you ca- you cannot you cannot um, make public statements that that can have an impact on the share price. Exactly. And when he tweeted out that he had funding in place and that he would like to take Tesla public at four hundred twenty dollars a share, that had an impact on the share price. That immediately triggered an SEC and a Department of Justice investigation. And I I, I think. 
it would it, it would surprise me. The evidence is is pretty clear. There's nothing there's nothing difficult for the SEC to prove, and the Justice Department even hasn't hasn't even come out with its conclusions yet. Um, I think his career could very well be over because he's uh, you know used Twitter um, like a club, mm-hmm. and 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 it's it's well. Let's put it this way: when he said, when he posted that tweet, Tesla shares were trading at about three seventy five. Uh, yeah, last night I checked on Friday, Tesla shares were down almost a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. So the damage that he's done to his company, and remember, Elon Musk owns twenty percent of Tesla. That tweet cost him more than a billion dollars. Interesting stuff. Jeremy Cato is an automotive journalist here to, among other things, tip us off as to the hot new cars coming off the 2019 assembly lines and soon to be available in showrooms about around BC. What's caught your eye for the new stuff, Jeremy? Right. Well, there's a few interesting things. I mean, you, you know, let's start with the, you know, one of the hottest segments out there, which is that small SUV segment you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, I've already talked about the, the Kona from Hyundai and the Nero from Kia. I think, you know, obviously the Ford EcoBoost, which is a, another small uh, SUV, is, is an interesting entry. So that, that segment has got some good things happening. Okay. Honda, Honda's got a, a, done a nice job of updating the CRV, which is, um, if it's not the most popular small SUV in Canada, it's number two. You bet. So lots of people will be interested in that. And, and you know, the CRV is, is a, you know, if, if what you want is a, a reliable, fuel efficient, a vehicle that's going to last forever. I mean, just as an aside here, my son has a 2001 Honda CRV with almost 300,000 kilometers, and it's still going strong. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that's the reason people opt for those things. And and on the luxury side, here's a here's one that that should interest a lot of people because it's uh, you know it's going to be in the price range that people can afford. Mercedes is launching a, a small car uh, in a variety of forms called the A Class. Um, which has got a tremendous amount of new technology. And I think that's going to be an interesting volume seller for Mercedes-Benz. Those are a couple that really jump off, off the off the map for me. And uh, over on the Acura side and the luxury SUV, the RDX, uh, Acura, Acura seems to finally got the formula right for its uh, sort of midsize slash compact uh, SUV in the RDX. And very interesting, lots of useful technology. Um, so th- those are a few that just okay. really jump out right away. All right, Jerry, thank you for that. Now, CatoCarGuy.com is your website. Are you going to be posting more on the new stuff, your 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 picks yes. to click and not? That, that, that's it. Uh, if if uh, someone were to go there now, you, you'd find uh, my re- my latest review, which I posted on Thursday of the of that Kona, and also I wrote a column that I posted yesterday comparing Tesla's situation to, <clears throat> excuse me, Aston Martin's situation. And uh, Aston Martin's in it, you know, that, that's on the super luxury car side. Very interesting. A whole bunch of new products coming from them, that's including stuff. an all-electric uh, vehicle. But more interesting than that, if you if you like the business side, which I've always been a business writer, you know, in this uh, function, um, Aston Martin's about to take the company public uh, in, in October. And so um, this and might be about how to do it properly instead of the Musk method. i got to leave it there, Jeremy, because okay. I'm fresh out of time and I'm oh, grateful for yours. That. No, it's, it's great to connect with you again. We'll do this again.